0: Hey there, and welcome to Matriarchs of the Bible. I am Kathy Baker, and I'm so glad you're joining me for this series. And thank you, everybody, for all the positive feedback you've given me. Uh, It's been just a joy to learn about these women and to share what I have learned with you. So in our series, we have talked about Eve and Sarah and Rebecca, Rachel, and today it's all about Leah. Leah. So we want to see that her story parallels uh, her sister, Rachel. They have a shared story, yet there are very many differences. So we want to look at how they both fell into their weakness of sin, and we're going to look at other attributes for uh, Leah and um, see how she is perceived after uh, many, many years. So I want us to look back at 1 John 2, 16. I've used this in several of the lessons to see that the weakness to sin that we all fall into and that Eve fell into is described in this verse. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So we're looking at three areas where People typically fall into sin, desires of the flesh, that's craving physical pleasure, the the desires of the eyes, craving for what we see, and pride of life, and that is pride in what we achieve and possess. And all of these women have fallen into one of those categories. So today we'll look at Leah and we'll see, will she give in to all that is in the world? And look for a point in her narrative to see if she falls into that trap. Now, her story is in the same readings for Rachel. That is found in Genesis 29 through 31, and then chapter 33 and 35. Well, there are parallels between the sisters and sister wives as they come to be. But we're going to focus on Leah's story, her actions, and her perspective. We're introduced to her in Genesis 29, verse 17. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now, we don't necessarily know the precise meaning of the word weak here. The New King James uses delicate. And the King James says tender-eyed. Well, the New Living Translation doesn't really translate the word, but instead tries to indicate what they thought it meant by saying her eyes had no sparkle. And then the HCSB says they were ordinary. Well, since the word but follows Leah's description, we see there's a comparison. Leah was this, but Rachel was that. So, Leah was weak-eyed or ordinary, but Rachel was beautiful. The word Leah means weary. And isn't that an apt description of her? Weary of being compared to the beautiful Rachel. Tired of being considered second best. Sick of not capturing any man's eyes or heart. Well, this description of her eyes is, is very important for us to look at because the eyes reveal much about ourselves. They tell us much about our health. They can signal vision problems or diabetes or stress or jaundice. And I have allergies, so my eyes get itchy and red. And I wonder if somebody might say <laughs> say about me, there's that weak-eyed Kathy Baker. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Well, there is this saying, eyes are the window of the soul, and so, yes, eyes reflect our character. Here's what Proverbs 21, 4 says haughty eyes, a proud heart, and evil actions are all sin. David was said to have had beautiful eyes. 1 Samuel 16, 12 says he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Shulamite woman is seen by both Solomon and the shepherd as having dove's eyes, which seems to be associated with being steady and peaceful. It says, how beautiful, your eyes are like doves. Well, the description of Leah's eyes match none of these. So whatever her weakness was, we are left to wonder. But regardless, we know that Jacob was not drawn to Leah, but to Rachel. Poor Leah. Well, as we learned last week, Jacob worked seven years to marry Rachel only to be tricked by her father. The poor weak-eyed daughter Leah is the one her father escorted to Jacob as his wife and then led her to the marital tent for the beginning of the honeymoon week. And then at the morning light, Jacob discovers the shocking truth. Behold, it was Leah we read in Genesis 29, verse 25, behold. Oh, my goodness. He beheld Leah for sure. And then he said to his daddy-in-law or daddy in deception, what in the world have you done to me? Well, that says it all, doesn't it? Jacob is now the victim of his own deceptive measures. You know, what goes around comes around it, Jacob, remember, had pretended to be Esau in front of his father, and now Leah pretends to be Rachel next to Jacob at the wedding. Well, Jacob had pretended to be his older brother at one point, and now Leah pretends to be her younger sister. Not only was Jacob tricked, but Leah and Rachel were tricked as well, and that was by their father. This is a dysfunctional family, isn't it? Well, meanwhile, Rachel was left in the lurch, at least for a week, when Father Laban gave her to Jacob as a post-honeymoon treat, and they were married, but had to wait seven years to make it all official with the full payment of the dowry. What a mess man has made of marriage. Leah always would realize she was second choice and never the favored wife. But God sees Leah and that she was not loved by Jacob. And we read in Genesis 29, verse 31, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Jacob and Leah had a physical relationship, but they did not have an emotional one because Jacob loved Rachel And so he had both a physical relationship with Rachel and an emotional one. But that wasn't what Rachel needed. What do women really want in a relationship? Well, there's a book by Dr. Emerson Egricks. It's called Love and Respect, The Love She Most Desires and the Respect He Desperately Needs. And I want you to listen to the description written about this book. Cracking the communication code between husband and wife involves understanding one thing, that unconditional respect is as powerful for him as unconditional love is for her. It's the secret to marriage that every couple seeks, and yet few couples ever find. While both men and women deserve both love and respect, In the midst of conflict, the driving need for a woman is love and the driving need for a man is respect. When either of these needs isn't met, things get crazy. Now, that's how the book is described, and I think it's such an apt and fitting description for our study of Leah and Rachel and Jacob. See, communication, love, and respect are powerful traits of a good marriage. And they were all missing here in this marriage triangle. Well, Leah's side of this story is the emotional one in that our heart hurts for her. Let's see how she expresses her pain through the naming of her children. So her firstborn is named Reuben. Genesis 29 verse 32 reads, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Reuben means behold a son. Well, Leah had achieved what every married woman had sought at, during that time to give her husband a firstborn son. She hopes that having achieved this will bring Jacob's attention to her. And then she has a second son. His name is Simeon. And we read in verse 33, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. Are you getting? This understanding of what is going on in her life and her lack of self-worth. That word Simeon means heard. Well, the third son is named Levi, and Levi means joined to. So she says in verse 34, (coughs) Now this time, this time, my husband will become attached to me. Can you just feel her desperation? She has three sons. So at the very least, this has been three years of her life. The hope that she holds on to, this longing that she, she feels, is to be Jacob's true wife. And it's painful to read. Well, then she has a fourth son, and look at how her focus changes. We read in verse 35 this time this time now, I will praise the Lord. Her son is Judah, and his name means praised. And so there's a little bit change in thought there. She's choosing at this point to praise the Lord. Well, none of Leah's thoughts seem to be focused upon Rachel at this point. And that's in contrast with Rachel, remember when what we read about her, when Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. And she pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I will die. And then she says in Genesis 30, verse 8, I have struggled hard with my sister and I am winning So Leah's focus is upon Jacob and wanting his attention, wanting to feel loved by him. But Rachel has this personal competition that she has started between Leah and herself. And so she is focused on having children. When Bella, Rachel's maid, uh, servant, um, and substitute wife, gives two sons to Rachel. Leah decides to follow suit and give her maid, Zilpah, to Jacob as a wife. And so this maid, Zilpah, uh, bears a son, and Leah names him Gad. And it means a troop cometh, or how fortunate. So she obviously thought that this was a very good thing. And then Leah bears another son, Zilpa does, and Leah gets to name this son because they become her sons. Even though the substitute wife had the baby, they are Leah's children. And she names this one Asher, and it means happy. Genesis 30, verse 13 reads, Happy am I, for women will call me happy. Leah thinks that all these other women are going to admire her because of this sixth son, Now, we've talked before about the pressure of these women in the culture to bear children. Every man wanted an heir. And this pressure is even greater because the man is Jacob, who will carry out Abraham's blessing of fathering a great nation. We can only imagine the conversation held between Rachel and Jacob and then Rachel and Jacob. And Rachel and Leah, all of them are having the same kind of conversation about when Jacob needs sons, he needs to have heirs. And and those talks uh, held in every tent in the Jacob community were going on also. So what now are the stories that Rachel and Leah are telling themselves about their worth? Rachel felt her worth was found in mothering. You remember she died at a very young age at 36. While there might have been a time in her early married years where she had been walking in her God-given purpose to love God and and uh, to love Jacob and to demonstrate uh, thoughtful, intentional, kind, and loving ways, there was a change And jealousy began to come at the forefront of her life. The pressure increased, and jealousy stole her purpose. Now, I want us to look. We've learned that uh, she died at 22. And so I want to learn a little bit more about the ages of Jacob and Rachel so that we can have a better sense of, of how life was, was working for each of them at different stages of life. So get ready to listen and learn <clears throat> and maybe laugh a little bit. Well, the estimate is that Rachel married Jacob when she was about 22. Now, that was after spending seven years as a bride in waiting. But how old was Jacob? Well, we need to take a deep dive into some chronology in the life of Jacob. So stay with me here. We have to work backward to see how old Jacob was. So we are going to look at Joseph's time when Joseph's brothers sold him to slavery. Joseph was 17 years old. And when he reunites with his father and family, he is 39 years old. But how old was Jacob? Well, in order to know that, we dig into Scripture a little bit more, and we go to the portion where Jacob finally decides to leave Canaan. He takes his entire 66-member family and migrates to Egypt. And once in Egypt, he reunites with Joseph and is introduced to Pharaoh. Well, upon meeting this ruler, Egyptian ruler, the elderly biblical patriarch reveals his age. So we're reading in Genesis 47 verses 7 through 10. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. How old are you? Pharaoh asked him. Jacob replied, I have traveled this earth for 130 hard years. But my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again before leaving his court. So remember, at this time, Joseph is 39 at this meeting, and Jacob is 130. Now we're going to do some math. Jacob is 130, Joseph is 39. So we're going to subtract 130 minus 39 That gives us 91. That is how old Jacob was when Joseph was born. Oh my goodness. Okay, are you getting some images here? Maybe some you don't even want. Well, let's continue this journey. Let me repeat. Jacob was 91 when he has his 11th son, Joseph. Well, to back it up more, he was 77 when he met Rachel at the well. And then he had to work 7 years until he can marry her. And so we can determine this that when he married Leah and then a week later Rachel, Jacob was wait for it, 84 years old. Now, This advanced age when he wed was quite rare, not only in his own time, but also when compared to other generations born after Noah's flood. His twin brother Esau was 40 when he married, (coughs) and so was his father Isaac. (coughs) So, When we look at when he died, we find it in Genesis 47, verse 28. Jacob lived 17 years after his arrival in Egypt, and so he lived 147 years in all. So, does understanding this age difference (laughs) make any change in how you feel about this love story? Or any of you just... (laughs) Just ready to turn this off and quit listening? This is a lot to process. Think about it. Many of you women who are listening have husbands who are in the same age group as Jacob when he married the 22 year olds and then proceeded to have 13 children. <laughs> you know, if you need to press pause right here, go ahead and process this and pick it back up in a minute. <laughs> well, <clears throat> let's. Let's further look at Jacob in order to get a better insight into the mess he has created for his family. I'm asking why does Jacob do the things he does? Well, I have been thinking about Jacob for such a long time now as I've been doing this study. I'm trying to get into his head to see why and how he did the things he did. Why did he so easily deceive his father? And why did he take so long to get married? And why couldn't he get a handle on his marital and family situations? So here's where I begin to think. Uh, You know, our lives are formed in many ways. Uh, When we are an adult, we bring these four things into our lives to shape us. First of all, our upbringing. And, And that means the influence of our family of origin. Secondly, our choices, the decisions we make about our lives affect how we are formed and how we look and how we work and what we do. The third is the circumstances of life. And the fourth is our personality. Now, let's take each of these and look at Jacob. First of all, his upbringing, his mother showed favoritism. And his father, the good man Isaiah, was for the most part absent of a huge positive influence on Jacob's life. So his domineering and decisive and smother mother, Rebecca, taught Jacob to deceive. She didn't let him naturally adjust to life's situations as they came to him. And then she did not release her tether to him until she sent him to live with her brother Laban. And get this, Jacob was 77 years old when he left home to go out and find a wife and start a new life. Are are you getting into some insights to Jacob? Well, here's the other thing, choices. Jacob made some bad choices. He chose to trick and deceive and listen to bad advice. And then we have circumstances is number three. He moved to Laban's house. Remember when he's 77 and those circumstances were not good because Laban was self-centered. And so his decisions are going to be based on what's best for Laban. And Jacob was tied up there, living there for 20 years, uh, 14 years in promised dowry money and then six more years to work the land. Why? Why? So why is it that he kept getting in these circumstances? And why did Esau, his twin, marry at 40 and Jacob didn't until he's 84? Well, let's explore his his personality. Moses writes in Genesis 20, verse 27, So the boys grew. Jacob was a mild, or as the King James Version puts it, plain man dwelling in tents. So he was mild and plain. Some words, versions, call this quiet. Now, that's very different from his brother Esau, who was volatile. And Jacob's temperament was was devoid of the peaks and valleys. It was kind of pretty even. Now, he was quiet, but uh, he had this strong streak of craftiness. He was a man who was alive to his own interest also. I think he kind of dug his heels in for the things that he wanted. Well, these characteristics probably made him less appealing to a lot of people. I think he's like a puzzle to people. Now, like his brother Esau, he is shown to be physically strong. And yet he is quiet, reflective, timid, steady, orderly and contemplative. Now, here it seems to me that Jacob was a phlegmatic, melancholy, living in some weaknesses. Now, at least this deep dive into who Jacob really was helps me have a better understanding of how this storyline is working and how He acted the way he acted, the decisions that he made, how he went along with his mother, how he stayed at home for so long and then did what she told and went to live at Laban's house and then ended up having to work 14 years to get a woman, ended up with two wives and and two other women that bore children for him. At least understanding that part of his character, his personality, helps me to know how he got to this point. Well, back to Leah. She is now trying to get her worth through her 80-something-year-old husband. She's in baby wars, and she needs to make haste, for she fears Rachel is gaining ground. So we move to the period of that wheat harvest, and Leah's son, Reuben, goes looking for mandrakes, or, or what is called love apples, uh, in the field. Now, he does not know what these are, but these are like a- an aphrodisiac, and he takes them to his mother, Leah. Well, Rachel overhears and, and sees what's going on, and she knows that he has taken the mandrakes in, and he a- she asks Leah to share them with her, and Leah refuses, saying, is it a small matter for you to take my husband, and would you take my son's mandrakes too? I mean, in a way, that's kind of funny. But Rachel decides that uh, she would prefer to have the mandrakes right now. And so she sells her husband's physical attentions for mandrakes by telling her sister, you can spend time in the tent with Jacob tonight if you just give me those love apples. So Leah accepts the offer. She meets Jacob when he comes home that night and informs him that she has hired him to be in her bed that night. Well, when she conceives again, somehow Leah reasons that this is her just payment for having given up uh, her maid to her husband and sharing her husband with Rachel. Well, she names this son Issachar, and that means there is recompense. The, and then she conceives again, and this son she names Zebulun, and that means exalted. Exalted. And we read now in Genesis 30 verse 20. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good gift. Now, now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. You know, she believes that now is the time. It's it the time is here that Jacob will now choose to live exclusive with her exclusively with her, and not just be an occasional visitor. She is still seeking his love and attention. Well, there is nothing to indicate that she got her wish. She does conceive again, and this time she gives Jacob a daughter. Her name is Dinah, which means judgment. Well, as this is happening, God remembers Rachel, and she is able to finally give a son to Jacob herself. He is Joseph, Joseph. Well, despite all of Leah's thoughts about what providing seven and children and nine if you count her maid's sons, children to Jacob would bring for her. We you know, she is wanting so desperately to be the favored wife, but we see Jacob is still focused on Rachel because Because he now favors Rachel's child, Joseph. And then he favors Benjamin over all the other sons. Well, it's time for them to leave. Uh, God tells Jacob it's time to go home. And so Rachel and Leah both recognize that Laban has used them all wrongly. And Jacob is right to leave. Well, when Jacob and all his group finally get close to home, uh, we can see that he still prefers Rachel. He sees Esau coming with 400 men. So he divides everyone into groups. He puts Bella and Zilpah and their children in front. Leah and her children come next. And Rachel and Joseph are last. That is the special special place in the procession. This is a loving reunion between the brothers, and Jacob settles once again among his family. Well, we read in Genesis 30, verse 13, where Leah expresses that women would call her happy after the birth of Asher, and you know, she is right on that point. We read in Ruth 4, verse 11, The legacy of Leah is this. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. So by the time we get to reading in Ruth, we see that Rachel and Leah are both being given uh, a high status, that uh, they have, they bore Jacob's sons and that was a high mark, and so they're both given that uh, high status in the book of Ruth. Well, the promise of a great nation was fulfilled, and Leah bore more of those sons than Rachel did. But we know from other scripture that their feuding was just not part of God's will. It's all about the heart. Jesus tells us that the heart is a repository for good, and evil, and that what comes out of our mouth, good or bad, begins in the heart. Now, he said this in, in Luke 6, verse 45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. See, each woman in our series had a choice between living from a good heart or from an evil heart. Every time each one chose poorly and made a self-centered decision out of God's plan, then they were choosing from the treasury of an evil heart. Everything we say, think, feel, and do flows from the heart, and we choose whether it is good or evil. Even though she was part of a deceitful plan in marriage, Leah had a legal marriage, and her expectations were all right. But it is unfortunate for her that her circumstances were not set up the way that God had intended. Jesus makes it clear that God's plan from the beginning was a marriage that only included two people, one man and one woman. And it was the hardness of heart of men that allowed for a deviation from that plan. We see that with Sarah. She brought in Hagar because she failed to trust God to keep the promise he had made to her. Laban met his own needs by secretly Marrying Leah to Jacob and then allowing Rachel to be married to him as well. And every time we see marriage to more than one woman at a time in Scripture, the situation is not presented very well, is it? That relationship was meant to be special. The feelings that Leah and Rachel dealt with were natural because they were living in unnatural circumstances. So that's why they... Uh, they uh, had a bent to the hardness of heart because their circumstances were so difficult and so challenging. It was so unnatural that the natural thing for each to do was give in to a hardness of heart. Now, does that speak to anybody today? Do you find yourselves in any circumstances that are unnatural, unfortunate, ungodly, immoral, or or in this crazy world we're living in, just untenable. And it is our bent to give into that and to do the things that we are not supposed to do, to think the things we're not supposed to to think. But that is not God's plan. So we want to guard our own heart so we don't become guilty of hardness of heart. Jesus warned his disciples to trust him and for them to avoid having a hard heart. We read in Mark 8, verse 17, Are your hearts too hard to take it in? He goes on to explain a hard heart. He spells out for us the characteristics of this spiritual heart condition as this. It is an inability to see, to understand, to hear, and to remember what God has done. Have you ever been in that place in your life and and you're just not seeing the light and the goodness and the righteousness? Do you know people who live in this type of spiritual hardness? How do people get there? The same way these women did who refused to do the next right thing. Sin, here are some things that cause us to have a heart that grows hard. Sin causes hearts to grow hard especially continual and unrepentant sin. And here's another thing. Pride uh, can often cause uh, our hearts to harden. Hearts can also become hardened when we suffer setbacks and disappointments. Well, what is the fix for this? Repentance. Repentance from our wrongdoing. Telling God that we have strayed, we have erred, and we repent, and we turn away from that, and we show uh, um, that we are recognizing what we have done, and that we don't want to walk down that path, and we want to clean up our life and get back on the righteous path or the right living path. But what if we don't recognize it? then let's let this be our daily prayer. It's found in Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, some of our women did this in our series and some did not. We want to ask God daily to point out anything that offends him. And then we want to repent and turn away from the thing that was pointed in the wrong direction. James 4, 7 tells us, So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, Leah was not recognized nor appreciated by those closest to her. Her father put her in this terrible position by having her betray her sister and marry Jacob. But where was the voice that God had given her? Why was she not able to stand up? It was really hard in that culture, wasn't it? Jacob set aside her aside emotionally in favor of her sister. And Leah was not able to overcome that disappointment. And then her own sister saw her as competition. Leah, that living her life as the unlovely and the unloved one. Yet in history, we see a woman who was highly favored. For from the womb of this unloved woman and from the pain she had of an unexpected marriage, came two sons, specifically, whose lines wonderfully impact the world. From the line of her third son, Levi, would come the Levitical priesthood, the Levites, including Moses and Aaron. And then from the line of her fourth son, Judah, would come the principal line, which ultimately would result in the Messiah, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Leah would be the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. I'm not sure how many greats were there. The Savior of the world, the Deliverer, the Promised Messiah. She became the woman that every Jewish woman would envy because every Jewish woman would have wanted to be a mother in the Messianic line. She indeed receives favored status for this. So do you see in looking over Leah's life, the ups and the downs and the disappointments that she had, the good choices, the efforts to please, and the disappointments of of never living up to what she thought she should be and who she thought she should be, her sense of self-worth and how it suffered and how she continued Then to want to mother and to be a good mother and ended up mothering very important men in the future of Israel. We always want to look at the overall picture of someone's life before we can uh, make a judgment call on whether they were walking in the righteous way or not. Leah's is one that offers us a lot of confusion, doesn't it? Take time to think about her and to process her life. And let's give thanks for the children that she did bear and who they were able to bear. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Leah. We know that she experienced a lot of heartache like many women experience today and feeling unloved and unworthy. And we pray that we will take away from her that our love and our worth is rooted in you. And we will always go to you to find that. Uh, help us again as we consider this series to learn from each woman and to take to heart that who you would have us to be and to walk in your way. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.